Have you ever set an arbitrary speed challenge for yourself? Like how fast you can run some distance or climb stairs in your building or drink a glass of something? Deep inside us, we have a primal urge to make things a competition, even if that competition is with ourselves. The root of the word competition means to strive for something together. Competition is usually perceived as a rivalry, a zero-sum activity with winners and losers. But in its most basic form, competition is about uncovering new possibilities. Attempting a fastest known time is simply seeing how fast something can be done. Anyone can attempt a fastest known time at any time. It's a beautiful form of competition that only requires an idea and the will to see it through. Do you want to know what makes a fastest known time attempt a little more complicated? Someone starting the same challenge at the very same time. In 1889, Nellie Bly left New York to set the fastest known time for traveling around the world. Unknown to her, Elizabeth Bislin embarked on the same adventure in the opposite direction. Welcome back to the Adventure Almanac. Stories about adventure and what we learn along the way. This is part one of a two-part story about a legendary race around the world. In 1889, there were only 288 female journalists in the United States. Nellie Bly was a strong-willed, scrappy investigative reporter that liked to hang out in working-class saloons and prove that she wasn't reliant on a man for anything. Elizabeth Bislin was supposedly one of the most beautiful women in New York, a quiet, charming Southerner that read literature and hosted dinner parties. Both left poverty and difficult family situations and arrived in New York with little more than their determination to become writers. Bly and Bislin were in their mid-twenties, and they set out to prove that not only was it possible to travel around the world faster than ever imagined, but that a young woman could do it alone. Up until that point, traveling around the world took months or years and was extremely rare. A race around the world was the ultimate fastest known time challenge. Their adventures changed how people perceived the world, understood geography, and it launched a new era of international travel. It was a lesson in determination, confidence, and the importance of packing light. Are you ready for an adventure? All right now, let's go. On a cold, rainy Monday evening on November 11th, 1889, Nellie Bly was summoned from her apartment to the editor's office at the World newspaper. She was always pushing limits, but what had she done this time? Was she in trouble? The editor looked at the young woman in front of him, and before she could even think of something clever to say, he asked her if she could be ready to leave for a trip around the world in two days. Without hesitation, she replied that she was ready to leave that very moment. About a year earlier, Bly had spent months analyzing travel schedules, and she believed that she could beat the imaginary record set in the book Around the World in 80 Days. Looking at all the time, she believed she could do it in 75 days. The editor dismissed her ideas immediately. It was impossible for her to do it. Maybe a man could do it, but certainly not a young girl. <laughs> did that set her off? She fired back at him with a challenge. If they sent a man, she would leave the same day and beat him. Finally, she had her chance to prove him wrong and show the world what she was capable of doing. Traveling around the world was not a new idea, but in 75 days, that was unthinkable. 15 years earlier, Jules Verne imagined the possibility of setting a fastest known time for circling the globe. But his book was fiction. Could it be done in reality? She was racing against an imaginary clock, but she believed in herself and nothing could stop her. Immediately, Bly had a choice. She could leave Wednesday and have a day in London before catching a train to Brindisi, Italy. Or 
she could leave Thursday, cut a day off her journey, and arrive just in time to take the train. In her mind, there is no question. She took her chances and booked a ticket to depart Thursday morning to London. Fortune favors the bold, she thought. Her next few days were a whirlwind of activity. She planned her itinerary from New Jersey to London, London to Italy, Italy to Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to Japan, Japan to San Francisco, and San Francisco back to New York. On the map, the itinerary looked straightforward, practically certain. But in the back of her mind, she knew that even a minor delay might wreck her plans. But given all the challenges she had overcome, what could stop her? How about not having a passport? Early Tuesday morning, the newspaper sent a courier on a train to DC to obtain a temporary passport. She was leaving in less than 48 hours, and she couldn't travel around the world without a passport. Bly thought nothing was impossible if you applied your energy in the right direction, and if you wanted to do it, you could do it. The question was, did you want to do it? At least that's what she told her dressmaker, when she needed a dress made in a few hours that she could wear around the world for the next three months. She was determined to pack lightly and carry her own bag. Not only did she want to defy gender stereotypes about women, but she knew it would make traveling more efficient and reduce her chances of being delayed. She wore her new two-piece blue dress and a Sherlock Holmes-styled ghillie cap, and then she squeezed, crushed, and stuffed her black and white checkered overcoat, silk vest, waterproof cover, underwear, handkerchief, toiletries, all into one 16 by seven inch leather handbag. The only jewelry she wore was her lucky gold ring around her left thumb. She believed that the world would greet her as she greeted it, and realized that if she wasn't trying to impress anyone, the challenge of packing was actually pretty simple. Bly hated waking up early, but Thursday, November 14, 1889 was no ordinary day. Her passport arrived and she was ready for an adventure. The front page of the newspaper announced her around-the-world race, and the official timekeeper synchronized watches. At 9.30 a.m., the magnificent Augusta Victoria pushed away from the Hoboken Pier, and away she went. She stood on deck waving her hat to her friends below. She was off on her first ocean voyage and a race around the world. The Augusta Victoria slowly chugged past Manhattan and beyond the fresh copper-colored exterior of the newly installed Statue of Liberty. Bly relaxed on a deck chair. She hadn't taken a vacation in years, and she needed a break. Three years ago, Bly's first assignment was an undercover mission to expose the mistreatment of female patients in an asylum. She pretended to have a mental health issue and got herself committed to the asylum for 10 frightening days. Then, she worked in a box factory to report on child and women working conditions. She also worked as a servant, trained as a boxer, and attempted to be a chorus girl. She had earned a reputation for innovative stunt reporting, but this was going to be her biggest story yet. As she took in a deep breath of ocean air, she watched the calm seas and smiled as she anticipated the delightful journey ahead. As everyone admired the view, a friendly person nearby asked her if she had ever been seasick. Suddenly something deep inside of her stirred and from seemingly nowhere the green dragon roared and she ran to the railing to vent her feelings. As she wiped the tears from her eyes, she heard the men snickering in disbelief that she was the girl going around the world. Traveling first class on a Victorian steamship was no ordinary journey. Rooms were covered in marble and bronze. Paintings and silk tapestries adorned the walls and an orchestra played in the dining room while white-gloved waiters brought ornate French-style nine-course meals. It was the epitome of luxury. At dinner, Bly found her seat next to the captain. At the first sight of food, she faintly whispered her apologies and rushed away from the table to a secluded spot where she reflected on the cruelty of life. 
she courageously returned to the table to the enthusiastic applause of the other guests. They encouraged her to eat, suggesting that it was the only way to get over the seasickness. A minute later, she was running for the railing again. Her legs wobbled and she felt dizzy as she returned to the table. She sat down and then immediately stood up and exited the dining hall for a third time. The kind congratulations upon her return did not help. Her vision was blurry, the electric lights were blinding, and the smell of food was nauseating. But she made it through the meal and even managed to comment that it had been a lovely dinner. She stumbled back to her room and quickly fell asleep. Knock, knock, knock. Grumpily, she wondered where that knocking was coming from. She opened her eyes and saw a worried stewardess in her room and the captain standing at the door. She quickly apologized for her behavior and explained that she always slept late in the morning. The captain let out a good-natured laugh. It was 4.30 in the evening. They wondered if she was still alive. While Bly had been eating and uneating her dinner, unknown to her, Elizabeth Bislin climbed aboard a train to Chicago and began her journey around the world. On his morning commute, the owner of the Cosmopolitan magazine couldn't believe what he was reading. On the cover of the newspaper was an announcement that Nellie Bly was leaving on a race around the world. If it was a race they wanted, he would make it a race. He stormed into the office, rounded up the editors, and immediately started planning. Because of the winds and weather, they calculated there was a good chance they could beat Bly by traveling west. They sent Elizabeth Bisland an urgent message requesting that she come to the Cosmopolitan's office immediately. On November 14th at 11 a.m., Bisland arrived, heard their idea, and immediately told them no. No way! She wasn't interested in traveling around the world. She wasn't prepared for such a journey. She had never left the country and she had no desire to be famous. No thank you. Yet something persuaded her. She had five hours to get ready for a 75-day race around the world. She stuffed the bare necessities into a large steam trunk and a leather handbag, and in a flurry of kisses, goodbyes, advice, and directions, at 6 p.m. she stepped onto the sleeping car for the fast train headed from New York Central Station to Chicago. Bly had an eight and a half hour head start, but that didn't stop the editors at the Cosmopolitan from making a public wager that Bislin would win. And that was it. The world knew that two young women were racing around the world. Bislin arrived in Chicago late at night on November 15th. The station was eerily quiet as the echoes of footsteps of departing passengers faded as they rushed to wherever they were going. Someone was supposed to meet her there. She waited in silence and grew more anxious by the minute. Her mind was flooded with the type of feelings that you have when you're alone at night in an unfamiliar place on a wild goose chase. She was hungry, tired, angry, sad, and already homesick. With a little help, she found the train to Omaha and she fell fast asleep in a comfortable cabin. In Omaha, she transferred to a special experimental train. The owner of the train company was competing for a huge government contract to get the mail to San Francisco 10 hours earlier. The traveling post office was the fastest train around and she was the only woman on board. The train traveled with purpose and speed, but despite the conductor's best effort, by the time they reached Wyoming, they were behind schedule. In Evanston, Wyoming, they attached a more powerful engine and Cyclone Bill climbed aboard to get the train through the mountains of Ogden, Utah, near Salt Lake City. It was five hours to Ogden, and they were two hours behind schedule. Cyclone Bill exclaimed that he would get the train to Ogden or hell on time. The train lurched forward and raced downhill at speeds unlike anything she had ever experienced. Everyone held tight to their chairs and several times people joked that they would likely see Hades before Ogden. The train raced through canyons and around wild mountain passes, inches away from intimidating walls of rock. The roar of the locomotive rattled the train in the confidence of everyone inside. 
flashes of light interrupted disoriented darkness as the train shot in and out of tunnels and curved around canyons. They were going so fast that someone timidly joked that Bill was trying to use the train to straighten out the curves in the track. The train rocked side to side. The steel wheels sent a fiery tail of orange sparks behind them like a fire-breathing dragon. At Antelope Gap, Bill didn't slow down for the big curve and one side of the train lifted into the air for a moment before crashing back into place. Seconds later, the train slammed into the next curve and the other side of the train floated above the rails. Some screamed and others were instantly seasick. The general manager begged Bill to slow down, but Bill didn't let up. He was on a mission. And eventually the manager bravely left his seat and pulled the brake to slow the train down. But they made it to Ogden all right, in record time. 20 years earlier, a journey around the United States required months by covered wagon or a sailing trip around South America. In 1869, the Transcontinental Railroad connected the two coasts and it was possible to complete the journey in a week. They arrived in San Francisco on November 19th, only four and a half days after leaving New York. A new record. Bislin now had two days to rest at the fabulous Palace Hotel before her first ocean journey but she was surprised to find that she was constantly surrounded by crowds of curious women and a dozen reporters wanting to hear her story. On Thursday, November 21st at 3 p.m., the Oceanic Steamship set sail for Japan. If everything went according to plan, Bislin might make it back to New York in as little as 72 days. Theory was one thing, actual practice was quite another. From the Palace Hotel to the traveling palace that was the Oceanic, the elegance of the ship gave her hope about the journey ahead. The steamship was a first-class floating hotel. She was a young woman traveling alone, leaving her country for the first time, and racing another woman around the world. But maybe it wouldn't be so bad. They sailed beneath the golden gates of San Francisco and the sky turned red as the sun sunk below the horizon. The sailors whispered that it was a sign of a promising journey ahead. The ship found its rhythm rising and falling with the ocean waves until the rhythm became more dramatic and small waves turned into mountains of monotonous dark waves. Eventually, California disappeared below the horizon and then the horizon disappeared behind the chaotic wall of waves. A massive storm flooded the decks of the Oceanic and Bisland sheltered in her cabin. A wall of green water covered her only window. She clutched the sheets of her bed and held on for dear life. There was nothing she could do. She couldn't eat or sleep or hardly move. Suddenly, she realized that this was going to be nothing like sleeping in a comfortable hotel room. As Bislin was preparing to board her ship in California, Nellie Bly spotted her first sign of land in six days. At 2 a.m. on November 21st, Bly arrived in Southampton, England. Bly anxiously waited for the tugboat to transport her to land so that she could catch a train to London. She did not want to miss her train. Bly paced up and down the deck, nervously chatting with other passengers in the cold fog of the night. The tugboat pulled aside the ship and gangplanks noisily connected the two boats. The London correspondent climbed on board to meet her and inquired her about her luggage. She pointed at the bag in her hand and smiled as she jumped down to the tug. The London correspondent had good news to share. Jules Verne requested that she stop by for a visit, but was there time? At 3 a.m. they arrived in customs, caught a special train and made it to London at 5 a.m. on November 22nd. She had been awake for 24 hours and had traveled by steamship, tugboat, train, and now a bumpy horse and carriage ride across London. Bly had four hours to get her official passport, visit the newspaper office, send a telegram, and rush back to the station to take the morning train to catch a ferry across the English Channel. To her knowledge, it was still a race against time and she was winning. The detour to see Jules Verne was risky, but it was a huge publicity event for the newspaper. His book was the inspiration for this adventure. 
Even though the visit was a risk, his enthusiasm for her trip was the blessing she needed. They made a toast to her adventure and off she went. She made her train with two hours to spare. At 1.30 a.m. on November 23rd, she collapsed into the sleeper car of the weekly mail train and tried to sleep under a pile of all her clothes. The air was cold and so thick with smoke she could barely breathe. Inside and outside the train was a persistent gray fog. From Calais to Paris to Turin and then down the coast to Brindisi, she hardly saw a glimpse of Italy until she arrived in Brindisi at 1.30 a.m. on November 25th. They were behind schedule and the steamship Victoria was departing soon for Sri Lanka. Bly hurried to the ship, dropped her bag in her room, and asked a guard to take her to the telegraph office so that she could send a quick update to the newspaper. The guard led her down twisting dark streets to the wire office. After sending her message, she stepped out of the building and heard the long, low whistle of the ship announcing its departure. They looked at each other, and the guard asked her if she could run. Run! Policemen and pedestrians jumped out of the way, and when they rounded the corner, a ship was pushing away from the docks. But her ship, the Victoria, was still safely in port. Early in the morning on November 25th, Bly and the Victoria left Italy and sailed past Greece into the blue waters of the Mediterranean. They slowly crossed Egypt through the Suez Canal and then traveled out into the Red Sea. On December 2nd, they spotted the brown sand beaches of Aden, Yemen. They were a day ahead of schedule and she had already traveled a third of the way around the world in only 18 days. From Aden to Colombo, Sri Lanka was another uneventful journey. Fair weather and no mechanical issues allowed them to make it to Sri Lanka two days ahead of schedule. Sri Lanka was a tropical paradise compared to the deserts of Africa and the empty blue of the ocean. The coral reefs simmered under the emerald green water and palm trees gently waved at them from shore. As soon as she could, Bly jumped on an outrigger canoe and sailed to the Grand Oriental Hotel to inquire about the next stage of her journey. What? She couldn't believe it. Delayed? How could it be delayed? She was ahead of schedule. She couldn't be stranded for five days. Five days? She couldn't believe it. It was a dangerous delay with no margin for error. If she didn't leave by December 13th, she would miss her connection in Japan and she wouldn't arrive home until, oh no, 81 days after leaving. At nearly the same moment that Bly arrived in Sri Lanka and learned about her delay, Elizabeth Bislin landed in Japan after her 16-day trip across the Pacific Ocean. The first few days were horrible, but eventually the weather improved and the ship cut through the waves like a playful dolphin. On December 8, 1869, Bislin set foot in Yokohama, Japan. Yokohama was one of the first Japanese ports to open to foreign trade in 1859. Everywhere was clean, inviting, and new. It was her first time in another country and she wanted to explore more. But on December 10th, she was back on board the Oceanic sailing to Hong Kong. She looked longingly at shore and watched the snowy peak of Mount Fuji slowly fade away as she lost sight of land again. It wasn't long before the nightmare returned. A massive storm battered the ship with heavy winds and waves. There was nothing she could do. She was again a speck on the mighty sea. She could be upset, but what? At who? She chose to wedge herself into her bed with every pillow she could find and did her best to read the ship's entire library. After five miserable days, she arrived in Hong Kong on December 15th. Bislin had been traveling for a month and surprisingly, despite every storm Mother Nature could put in her path, she was a day ahead of schedule. She was a day ahead of Nellie Bly. From here, the sleek Prussian steamship would carry her all the way to France. If everything went smoothly, she might make the trip in less than 73 days. At least, that was her plan. Until it wasn't. The steamship's propeller was broken and it wouldn't be fixed for a week, maybe more. 
She couldn't wait to find out. The British mail ship the Thames left for Sri Lanka in less than 48 hours. Departing with the Thames on December 18th was Bislin's only option, her only chance to win. She could piece together the rest of the journey from Sri Lanka. The future is uncertain for our two heroes. Who knows what will happen next? We encourage you to avoid the temptation to look up the outcome. The race has many twists and turns, and I'll go ahead and tell you that it's a close race until the very end. Look out for part two of the story coming soon. This episode was researched, written, and produced by the team at Adventure Nerds. Original music was written and performed by Drell. You can find more of Drell's work wherever you listen to music and by following the links in the show notes. Until soon, be curious and choose adventure. Who do you think will make it back to New York first? <laughs>